Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's host, Alok Tai. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vibe Bio. Vibe partners with patient communities to develop novel therapeutics. I'm really excited today to be joined by Brian Cully, the CEO of Lineage Cell Therapeutics. We recorded this episode in April 2022. Brian's based in San Diego and is going to be talking to us today a little bit about some of the exciting work that Lineage Cell is doing in the cell therapy space and some of the really exciting work they've had recently in the retinal restoration domain. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Luke. It's my pleasure to be here today. You know, maybe to kick us off, would love if you could just give us a quick intro on yourself and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I'm the CEO of Lineage Cell Therapeutics, a role that I've held for about three and a half years. I started out as a bench scientist, many years of drug discovery work, transitioned through different areas like technology transfer and business development before I had an opportunity about 15 years ago to become the CEO of a small public company. This is now my third public company that I've been running and you know, just having a fantastic time with it, making sure that I draw upon you know everything going back to my early days in a lab coat to uh, roadshows for investors. Awesome. Well, you know, with that, love it if you could perhaps give us just a quick overview of Lineage Cell Therapeutics. And we're grateful that this is actually your second visit to the podcast. And so the audience probably remembers your prior visit, but would love to just maybe give the group just a quick overview and then we can go from there. Yeah. So I will remind your listeners for just a moment that Lineage is a public company. And so in case I make some forward-looking statements, they can read about the risk factors of investing in Lineage through the website sec.gov. Lineage has a technology which utilizes pluripotent stem cells. These are amazingly powerful cells which can replicate largely without changing. And the reason why that's important is that you can grow these cells to great numbers. The cells are also having within them the capacity to become any of the 200 cell types of your body. So the cells are sort of undifferentiated. They're sort of a blank page of paper, a blank slate. And if they get the signals to become kidney cells or liver cells or bone, brain, any kind of cell type, if you give them the right signals, they will do that. And so our technology starts with these undifferentiated cells. We run them through a process to make them into specific cell types. And then we use those differentiated specific cell types as the medicine to treat what's going wrong in your body. And I know we'll have an opportunity to talk in a little bit more detail about exactly what I mean by that approach. Yeah, wonderful. So, you know, I think in that circumstance, we would love to learn a little bit more about the first indication that lineage cell has gone into, specifically in terms of retinal restoration and some of the exciting fruits of the team's labor. <laughs> yeah. So going back when I first spoke with you, we had been announcing at that time that we had manufactured human retinal cells and we transplanted those cells into patients that had a, a certain kind of blindness. It's called dry age-related macular degeneration, one of the leading causes of blindness. And the hallmark of that condition is the death of special retinal cells called RPE. So we manufacture replacement RPE cells we transplant those cells into the eye to take over from where cells are lost. This condition is usually associated with aging. And what happens is as these cells die off, you of course lose your vision. So if you could replace them, you know, that's our approach to think that we might be able to help people. And in fact, we did. Again, a year ago, I was talking about the very first case that was ever reported of someone who experienced retinal restoration. So that was a recovery of retinal tissue in the eye. 
The reason why that's important is that human beings can't do that naturally. I mean, starfish might be able to regrow a limb or you know, axolotl might be able to regrow a limb, but humans can't regrow retinal tissue. So we were able to transplant it and it integrated stably, safely, durably, and that was incredible. And so that announcement was notable at the time. But now to bring your, your listeners up to current, we've, we've now done it three additional times. So we have four cases of retinal restoration. And we probably could have continued on, but we actually ended up entering into a deal with Roche and Genentech. It was the largest self-therapy license outside of cancer. It was a $670 million deal with a $50 million upfront payment. So you know, I think that's a really clear signal that we had something very exciting that we were able to do in a disease that has no FDA-approved therapies. Oh, that's amazing. Now, one thing I'm, I'm just generally curious about, and I know we've probably touched on before, is obviously some of the scalability and cost-related challenges that exists in the broader cell therapy manufacturing space. Love to hear your thoughts on that specific topic, given that retinal conditions perhaps are quite varied and distributed geographically and probably would benefit from more easier manufacturing and lower cost, right, in comparison to say, some other indications. Yeah, our approach is what's called allogeneic. So we have a cell line um, that, as I say, we have an unlimited supply of material that, you know, you feed the cells, they divide. You'll never run out of cells. And those cells can be transplanted to, as far as we know, any individual without being rejected. We've so far treated 24 people. Some of them have had these cells for over five years without any signs of rejections. So Partly that's because the eye is a compartment which is somewhat protected from your immune response. So it's a great place to start to build a cell therapy program. The eye also is very accessible. You can look inside and take a lot of pictures of what's going on in there. So you could look for rejection, for example. So we use the same cell line in every single patient. So the material, the product is identical for everyone. And we, of course, put our cells through a battery of identity tests and functional tests to make sure that they, as, as I say, are the same every time. And we also have worked very hard on scale. We already have surpassed something I've said before, which is we have the ability to manufacture approximately 5 billion RPE cells in a three liter bioreactor. So, you know, that's a, a milk jug of retina cells, and that's enough for about 2,500 clinical courses. So it's really easy. We have cells that are frozen, they're shipped to the site, they're thawed right there next to the patient. And in about a 30 minute surgery, those cells are put into a, a needle and placed into the subretinal space. And that's it. One-time treatment. Awesome. That sounds really promising. So, you know, given the success you've seen clinically, as well as the obvious sort of validation by a larger pharmaceutical company, would love to maybe just hear some initial thoughts on why you chose Roche Genentech and even some high-level guidance and advice on a broader deal process that you know others listening might be in the midst of. I mean, I think generally speaking, the best data gets the best deals. You know, pharma doesn't want to take undue risk. They're looking for things to be de-risked because they're paying a lot of money to access the right to develop and commercialize these programs. And in the case of dry AMD, you're talking about a massive, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar commercial opportunity. You know, the other form of AMD called wet AMD, they're about $10 billion of sales going through every year for products to treat that form of the disease. This other form that we work on, dry AMD, has eight to nine times more patients. So it's a huge commercial opportunity. So I think that every major pharmaceutical company interested in the eye is sort of keeping an eye on the landscape of smaller companies and what they're doing. 
for the smaller companies like Lineage, there are three things that I think a big pharma deal can bring. They can bring cash, clearly. They can bring credibility, it's also helpful. But they most importantly can bring capabilities. And when you have an organization like Roshan Genentech, whose products are among some of the most widely successful ophthalmology products in the world, they have an enormous reach and scope and deep, deep bench of skilled talent. You know, they can do things that we simply could not do, even going out and raising, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. There'll be things that they can do that we can't. So I think what it does is it allows a program like this to move faster, better, overcome obstacles more easily, and overall just have a higher probability of success. So, you know, if we could have commercialized it on our own, sure, that would be really great. But, you know, something this big, you sort of need somebody big. So uh, Roche and Genentech with their history of novelty and innovation, you know, perfect partnership for a company like ours. Awesome. And when you look at the types of technologies and capabilities to help through sort of development specifically, how much do you think the larger established companies can support there from say a CMC and tech ops standpoint as an example versus let's say CDMOs even today? If we narrow it to our deal and cell therapy, maybe more generally, not that many big pharmaceutical companies have expertise beyond perhaps cell therapy for cancer, right? They might have a CAR-T program or even an NK program nowadays. But for something like what we're doing, there certainly is a lot of reliance. So we bring intellectual property, which is the foundation of this deal, but we also are contributing very meaningful manufacturing capabilities to the deal. We will be supplying the material for the next clinical trial. And there even are scenarios where we continue to supply material beyond that point. That's not the base case. That would require an extension of the deal and you know additional economics and so forth. So the base case is that Roche and Genentech will assume responsibility for manufacturing, but it's not guaranteed that they'll be successful in learning how to do it. So you know, that is something we've invested deeply in over many, many years. And, you know, I believe we'll be successful in transferring it to them, but it won't stop the product. If we have to keep doing it, we'll be able to do that. So I think that overall, the natural success from Big Pharma tends to be the resources they bring to the clinical development and certainly the commercialization. And it's kind of product specific, you know, how hard is it to be able to assume the manufacturing as well? But, you know, we're optimistic they'll be able to figure it out. We have tried to simplify the process you know, we were trying to make it more of a science than an art. And I think we've been very successful in doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. And it sounds like, I guess the quantity of drug product, if you will, that's required, right, to treat a patient seems to be smaller here compared to maybe other cell therapies or, or other modalities even. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably also a benefit, I'd imagine. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, in some settings, you might have to deliver 300 million cells as a dose right into the bloodstream. But with the subretinal space, And this part of the retina specifically, this is a monolayer of cells. So we administer about 100,000 cells. So, you know, there's a many fold reduction in the number of cells that we utilize. And then of course, the work that we've done to be able to manufacture these cells in three-dimensional space instead of in two-dimensional plates, that has greatly increased our scale and our production ability. And we can go certainly from a three-liter bioreactor into a 30-liter bioreactor and, and on. So Even though the market is enormous, I do believe that we would have the ability to scale up and meet that market demand. And so it sounds like given the success you've seen in retinal restoration, curious how you're seeing the growth of the pipeline as well as new indications that Lindy's Cell could potentially pursue. The retinal restoration data for me and the team as a whole is a very nice example of how the use of an entire cell 
as medicine rather than just a small molecule in the right setting can actually be the better choice. It may be more complicated to make, but if it's driving a better clinical outcome, you're obviously going to win on that basis alone. So there have been some, you know, sort of fantastic failures in the setting of dry AMD. And, you know, we're not commercially available yet. It's still in development, but it certainly is encouraging what we've seen. And it's because we're taking a totally different approach. And what's underlying that, the biology which underlies that is that we don't really know as an industry why these retina cells die off. So if you want to develop a small molecule or an antibody to treat this condition, you might be able to hit a couple of pathways and you know that's fine. That might be helpful. But if the cell is dying, I mean, almost everything has gone wrong at that point. So replacing the cell in its entirety might be the better way to go. So that's really how we're building the company. We're saying we think that whole cells can do more in the right setting than what a small molecule or antibody can do. And then we look at our cell lines and we say, wow, these can be any of the 200 cell types in your body. Well, we could make cardiomyocytes and go into heart failure. We could make islet cells and go into type 1 diabetes. There's so many places that we could go. So that's exactly been our business model is we have decided to reinvest some of the $50 million upfront payment that we received into new programs and recently announced that we've launched a new program where we're going to be manufacturing auditory neurons to address hearing loss. And we don't have to stop there. There's more that we can do. What I really like about this is that we didn't have to go out and buy that program or license that program from a university or another company. We were able to take existing capabilities and build that program from scratch. And that creates a lot of value for our shareholders. Well, it also sounds like there's you know, potential, obviously, to help a group of patients who currently don't have a lot of therapies available today. And it's great to see that there are both new modalities and new companies sort of focusing in on that specific space. And sort of at a macro level, you know, it's April 2022. We've certainly seen a fair bit of gyrations in the market over the past few quarters, including in the biotech sector. I'm curious if you, at a high level, you have any sort of comments or expectations for what you portend for the upcoming few quarters in our space, given the amount of challenges that's existed to date. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you have to be an optimistic person if you're in biotech. So I think that. I'm optimistic that we're going to see some stabilization, that monetary inflows and and new capital is going to return to the sector. A lot of companies raised a lot of money. Lineage is no different. We have the best balance sheet we've ever had, at least since I've joined the company. So we have a lot of capital to be able to reach important milestones. Even if this entire year is sort of, you know, a, a stock market disaster, you know, we'll be able to weather that storm and other strong companies will be able to do so as well. So I do think that when you have these periods where there's pullback, there is a sort of correction which occurs. You know, the strong companies ought to be able to survive if they've got a compelling story, they're generating compelling data, they, they don't have to reduce their spending. You know, these are all things that you need to plan for. So if a company, you know, failed to raise meaningful capital a year ago, you know, a little bit shame on them. That's going to be tough for them right now. But there's always money available for good stories, good companies, good drugs. I don't think that that's any different, even as the tide kind of goes in and out around us. Well, it's obviously, I think, a scenario where hopefully uh, those with the most promising medicines and to your point, the best data can continue to access what be the private or, or public markets. So fingers crossed that still stays true. So Brian, you know, other than hearing focused indications, any other domains that you're particularly excited about? Oh, certainly. Uh, there's one that uh, is really emotionally engaging, which is that we can manufacture oligodendrocytes to treat spinal cord injury. 
So many times people suffer a spinal cord injury or it could be a mountain biking accident or car accident and they can become paralyzed, you know, not even be able to shrug their shoulders. And our ability to manufacture a form of glial cell that comprises your spinal cord and deliver those cells to the site of injury in an effort to help people regain mobility is very compelling. And we're very excited about that because we've already treated 25 patients with cervical spinal cord injuries. And about one third of those patients gained what's called two levels of motor recovery, which is very meaningful to an individual. So we're really encouraged about moving forward with that program because, you know, the opportunity to influence someone's ability to use their upper extremities so that they could use a phone or, or manipulate their wheelchair, just have a drink of water when you want to have a drink of water. It's a really exciting area. And I think we've got the clinical data that suggests that, you know, we can make a difference in this field as well. Cool. Well, Brian, you know, I really appreciate you again coming back on the podcast, sharing some of the really exciting news and updates that you have and the team has uh, accomplished, as well as some of the new directions that you're really excited about. You know, I have a feeling that in a year when you do an even bigger deal again with another pharmaceutical company, we'll be inviting you back on. And so we'd love to have another discussion at that point as well. It would be my pleasure. We've got four different cell types we're working on. That means there's 196 ideas out there. We could have a lot to talk about for a lot of a long time. Thanks. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050Pod. Again, that's Biotech2050Pod. Until next time.